a study in the Psalms on uh, in our Sunday school hour, and uh, we may or may not do one Psalm every week. We may do two or three on some of the shorter ones um, in a week. So unless you think we're going to take two years to get through the Psalms, we probably won't. Uh, unless I get long-winded, then we might. So we'll see see how that goes. But uh, I want to encourage you, if you're not used to coming on Sunday morning or even if you're not able to come uh, for a Sunday school hour, uh, we do try to broadcast it on Facebook uh, every week. And uh, I would encourage you, uh, the Psalms will be a blessing to you. And uh, I want to encourage you to, to be a part of that study, if you will, uh, over the next several weeks, uh, or probably next year or so that we'll be in the Psalms at least. And so uh, pray that the Lord will use it in a very good way. Psalm 34, if you will. Psalm 34. <clears throat> Excuse me. Remember, read the first three verses together. The psalmist says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. By the way, isn't that a great phrase? I will bless the Lord at all times. The Lord truly has been good to us, hasn't He? And uh, the Bible says that God is good. It's not just that He's good because He does good things. It's, it's actually part of who He is. It's part of His being. It's part of His character. And I'm thankful that we have a Savior uh, a God in heaven that is a just God that can still look down on sinful man and have enough love and compassion to be able to offer a way for us to be redeemed from that sin so that we can experience the blessings and the goodness of God in our life. What a joy that is. And I hope that we don't ever get over that. And the psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Father, we come to You this morning. We ask that You would help us as we take some time to look into Your Word. And Lord, there are days that we preach on our sinful nature and our sinful condition. And Lord, even as, as Your people, those that have trusted You as their Savior, there are times that we need to have the reproof and the instruction of Scripture and how we're to live our lives, the holiness that You expect out of our lives. And Lord, I pray that You would help us during those times to examine ourselves, to be yielded to the pricking of our hearts and the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings to us in areas of our life that need, us, need our work and our focus and our attention, to be able to come more in line with what Your Word teaches as to the way that we live our lives. Lord, our heart's desire is to be a blessing and a testimony for You. And that we not do anything in our lives that would bring a reproach. So, Father, help us in these times. Other times, Lord, we come to Your Word and we need encouragement. And I pray that this, the preaching of Your Word this morning will do such a thing. That it will lift our hearts and it will draw them in love closer to You. And I pray that You would open our eyes open our ears, and expand our hearts that we can love You more than we've ever loved You before, that we can have more of a zeal and a desire to serve You and to labor for You than we've ever had before. And so, Father, help us, we pray today. In Jesus' name, Amen. The psalmist certainly is uh, extolling the Lord and giving an awful lot of praise to Him. And you'll find that often throughout the psalms, the psalmist considers uh, the, the magnitude of his love for the Lord to be something that it really cannot even put, be put into words, although he does his very best to try. And he begins this psalm with the idea of blessing the Lord because of the, the, the fact that He is good and 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth, it says. And he says, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And it's interesting that he uses both the word boast and the idea of humility in the same verse. And can I tell you this, that whatever thing we have to boast about in our lives, whatever God has done through us or in us, in our sinful condition, whatever He's made us into, <coughs> whatever His Holy Spirit has caused us to become, is completely and wholly uh, given the glory to Him for His doing it. Because the truth is, if we were left to our own ways, to our own inclinations, we of all people would be most miserable. We would be in sin. We'd be undone. We'd be living a life that is certainly not pleasing to Him. And so whatever God has done in our lives, if you're here and you're saved today and you're not what you used to be, give the glory to God for that. And we ought to make our boast in the Lord and that the humble ought to uh, hear this and be glad. But I want us to focus our attention mostly this morning on verse number 3. As the psalmist makes this statement, he starts with the word, Oh, and if you're in the habit of underlining things in your Bible, I, I would encourage you to underline this little single-letter uh, single word that is an exclamation. Some men have said that the, the exclamation of the word O oh in the Psalms oftentimes can be equated to almost a groan, uh, almost a, 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 an expression that is beyond words. It is such an emotional, uh, an emotional expression of the truth that is getting ready to be spoken of that the psalmist almost seems to say, Oh, Oh, as if I want you to get this truth. I, I want you to make sure that you don't miss this. And when he thinks of the goodness of God and the fact that we ought to be blessing Him, that we ought to be giving glory to Him, he starts this third verse with the word, Oh, I wish that you and I could get to the place where when we speak of God, the word oh would be frequent on our lips. That there would be such a, such a joy and, and such a, a, a blessing of speaking of the overwhelming joy that God brings to our hearts. To have an effervescence in the Christian life. To have our hearts bubbling over. To be so full of the Lord Jesus Christ that if some circumstance of life jostles us, it just spills out all over the place. The psalmist says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. I want to speak on this thing this morning of magnifying the Lord. I took a moment to look up the word magnify in Scripture, and I wanted to make sure that I had the right context as it was used in Scripture. And the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, uh, using Scripture to illustrate uh, the usage of this word, makes this definition of it. It says, "...to make great in representation, to extol." to exalt in description or praise, to elevate. Hey, can I tell you this, that you and I can never fully comprehend this side of heaven who God really is. I was reading a book years ago by the uh, R.A. Torrey uh, by the name uh, The Knowledge of the Holy. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, it wasn't R.A. Torrey. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll think of his name in a minute. Uh, uh, the Knowledge of the Holy. Uh, and... Uh, the, the thing that the writer wrote, uh, the author wrote, and I, follow, I apologize, his name escapes me. Uh, in chapter 2, he's speaking on the attributes of God, who God is. And in chapter 2, he makes this statement. He says, whoever we think God to be, He is not. In other words, man's finite mind cannot 
fully comprehend this side of heaven the fullness of who God really is. In fact, the truth of the matter is, uh, it, uh, the, 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 the understanding that we have of God is so finite that it does not even scratch the surface. A songwriter wrote a number of years ago, Could we with ink the oceans fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scrolls contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The God that we serve is a God that truly, in our human minds, we cannot fully comprehend. And the psalmist makes this statement that we are to magnify Him. Is it possible for man to overstate who God is? The truth of the matter is, language would fail us to even scratch the surface of who He is. And so the psalmist is certainly within his rights, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, to pen these words, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Make great in representation. Extol Him and exalt Him in description. Everywhere we go when we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing that is too great that we can speak of Him about. I believe that there are three areas that you and I ought to magnify the Lord in. There's probably many others, but I would give you at least three this morning. That you and I as God's children, those that have been redeemed and blood-bought, those that have been forgiven of our sin, that have been able to escape the damnation of hell, the consequences of hell, and we are given a home in heaven for all of eternity, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us, we ought to magnify the Lord. We're living in a world that, to be real frank with you, the Bible says it was going to happen, and we're watching it happen in our day, is waxing worse and worse. We're seeing more and more people who do not uh, have a heart for the things of the Lord, even people who deny that God exists, that are working in their lives to, to, to uh, fall into more depravity and more sin, and that's their lifelong goal is to pursue after these things. And the truth of the matter is that we are uh, past the time. In fact, it is more than high time for God's people to stand up and to magnify the Lord in this world. Not just to speak on an average basis, not just to speak of Him flippantly or casually, but that He be the, the, the thing that overwhelms our hearts and our minds. That He be the one that we speak about oftentimes. Uh, it was said of Charles Spurgeon years ago that when his friends were around him, they never knew when he was speaking to them and when he was speaking to God because he would transfer so seamlessly in the conversations between one and the other. Can I tell you this, that speaking with God and speaking about God and speaking to others uh, who God is ought to be one of the most natural things in the Christian life. It ought not be something that we even needed to, to make an effort at because it ought to overflow out of us. As we meditate and think on the things of the Lord and who He is, then I think it ought to be uh, something that is just a natural thing for us to speak to others about Him. When we meet somebody new, it ought not be more than a few moments before the conversation turns to the Lord Jesus in some way or another. Because it's the fullness of our hearts. You know, the Bible tells us this, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If you want to find out what we hold dearest in our hearts... Look at what we speak of the most. Do we speak of Him? Do we magnify Him? Do we represent Him in this world with a great representation? Do we give an exalted description of Him? Do we spend our time in praise to Him? 
Oh, that we would learn to magnify the Lord. To make big. To help people to see it more clearly. To be able to understand a little bit more of who God is. I think there's three areas we need to focus on when it comes to this thing of magnifying the Lord. I believe the first one is, and I think this is vitally the most important of them, that we need to focus on who He is. Who He is. Do you realize that in the day that you and I live, we are living in a time where even religious leaders, those that claim to, to be the, the ones that are leading the children of God in our country, spend more time de-elevating Christ and bringing Him down to a man's level, and more time taking man and trying to deify Him and raise Him to a godlike level. And the truth of the matter is, John said, He must increase and I must decrease. The truth of the matter is, if you and I as God's people understand Scripture correctly, our concept and our mind of God ought to be growing greater and greater as the days go by. We ought to extol Him. We ought to honor Him. We ought to magnify Him because of who He is. Look with me, if you will, in the book. Hold your place here. We're going to be back in Psalm 34 in just a moment. But look with me in Exodus chapter number 15. Exodus chapter number 15, the the background of this passage is that God has just delivered the children of Israel uh, across the Red Sea and escaped the armies of Pharaoh. In verse number 1 of Exodus chapter number 15, the Bible says this, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for He hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my and song, and he is my become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. Now understand this at that time the Egyptian army was the most powerful army in the world. And God had miraculously delivered the children of Israel who were standing defenseless, pinned against the Red Sea from this host of the Egyptian army. And He had done so effortlessly. Isn't that amazing? That God could do such a thing and it didn't even exhaust Him. It didn't even cause Him to be diminished in any of His strength or might or power. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in greatness of Thine excellency hast Thou overthrown them that rose up against Thee. Thou Thou sentest forth Thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of Thy nostrils the waters were gathered together, the floods stood upon uh, upright as in heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind, and the sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. And I want you to notice verse 11, after they speak of all that God did for them, Who is like unto thee, O Lord? Among the gods, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And I ask the question this morning, who is like unto Him in your heart? Who is like unto our God? The God that we serve (coughs) is the God 
who stepped out on nothing and spoke all that is into existence. You will look with me in John chapter number 1. Hold your place here again in Psalm 34. We're going to be back to it. John chapter number 1. I want you to notice what the Bible says about this. John chapter number 1 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were what? Made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Not only is He the God of heaven, He's the God who created all that is in this earth and in the heavens that that we can observe with our eyes. All the planets, all the universes, the expanse of of the heavens is so great in our eyes. And yet He measures them with the span of His hand, the Bible says. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Notice what it says in verse number 4. In Him was what? Life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it all. This is uh, comprehended it not. This is who our Savior is. This is who God is. Can I say this? You and I can never, never say too much about who our God is. There's not enough language, there's not enough eloquence of speech that can bring about who God is and do it justice. We can speak from now until eternity. We can learn every language and every word that can be used and try to express who God is and still have not even begun to describe Him. In Isaiah chapter number 6, if you'll turn there for a moment, Isaiah chapter number 6 We must be very careful of having a diminished view of God. And we're living in a time where a lot of men will stand in pulpits today in large churches and congregations, and they will speak to their people about how that they have authority over God. That that God can't do anything unless they give Him authority in their life. Can I tell you this? Nowhere in Scripture does that seem to be true. In fact, if anything, we find that we cannot do anything without God's allowance in our life. Look with me in Isaiah chapter number 6. And verse number 1, and it would do all of us well if we could finally get to a place where God has this kind of position in our lives. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Notice what he says here. High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Can I tell you this? Our God that we serve is not the man upstairs. He's not some some guy that we pal around with and buddy up with. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He not only deserves, but demands reverence. He demands our praise and our worship. And can I tell you this, folks? We need to first get a proper view of God so that we can magnify Him properly about who He is. That we can go around this world expressing who God is in such a way that we do at least the best that we can in describing who He is. Look with me in Psalm 24. Psalm 24. 
Psalm 24, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell therein. For He hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. This is the generation of them that seek Him, that seek Thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And then the word Selah. The word Selah, when you find it in the Psalms, means pause and think about what was just said. Meditate on it. Think about the truth of it. Who is this King of glory? The Lord mighty in battle. He is the Lord of hosts. Look with me in Psalm 8. Psalm 8. And by the way, we could, we could spend a length of time, several days perhaps even, looking in the Scriptures and seeing more and more of how the Scriptures exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me in Psalm 8. In verse number one, the Bible says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth, who hath set Thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast Thou ordained strength because of Thine enemies, that Thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider Thy heavens, the work of Thy fingers, the moon and the stars which Thou hast ordained, what is man that Thou art mindful of him, the son of man that Thou visitest him? For Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of Thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. What a great God we have. And the psalmist said, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes this, he says in verse number 5 of chapter 2, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath, notice this, highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to learn to worship Him as the Lord of everything. 
the Lord of creation, the Lord of our life. Oh, that we would learn to magnify Him and exalt His name together. I came across a list of things that the Bible describes Him of. In Genesis, in the book of Genesis, He's referred to as the Creator. He's the breath of life. He's the seed of woman. He's the promised Redeemer. He's the ark of Noah. He's the angel of God. And He is Jacob's ladder. In Exodus, He's the Passover lamb, the firstborn offered to God. Uh, burning the burning bush, the righteousness of the tablets of stone. In Leviticus, He's the tabernacle, the high priest, the fire of burnt offering on the altar, the water of cleansing in the laver. He is the light of the lampstand. He is the sweet savor of the altar of incense. He is the ark that holds the law and the covenant. His presence is on the mercy seat of reconciliation. He is our perfect sacrifice and our thankful offering. In Numbers, He is the builder of nations, recorded in genealogy. He is the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. He is the water in the desert. He is Aaron's rod. In Deuteronomy, He is the prophet like unto Moses. He is Moses' voice. He is the hope of a promised inheritance. In Joshua, He is the commander of the Lord's army. He is the victor in battle. He is uh, 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 the one in in Judges. He is the uh, judge and the lawgiver. He is the strength of Samson. He is the one who delivers from injustice. In Ruth, He is the giver of bread to the hungry. He is the rest for the weary, and He is the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, He is the trusted prophet, the faithful priest, the true king, and the Ebenezer stone of help. And that is a reference to the fact that He is unchanging, that He is always there. In First Kings, in, or in the Kings and Chronicles, He is the eternal King in the seat of David. He is the sovereign King of Kings. Greater than Solomon. He is Elijah's mantle. He is Shiloh and he is the true temple. In Ezra, he is the faithful scribe. He is the priest that proclaims freedom and he is the restorer of those that worship. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of broken walls and the restorer of broken people. He is the uniter of people who work together for good. In Esther, he is the advocate for his people. He is Mordecai's courage. He is Esther's willingness to serve. He is the protector of His people and the salvation of Israel. In Job, He is the ever-living Redeemer. He is the mediator between God and man. He is the answer to all Job's questions. He is the power of restoration. In Psalms, He is the song in the morning and in the night. He is the Lord our Shepherd. He is the Lord our High Tower. He is the Lord our Redeemer. In Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes, He is true wisdom. He is the meaning of life. And He is the hope that we have. In Song of Solomon, He is the true bridegroom. He is the author of faithful love. He is the song of songs. In Isaiah, He is the high and lifted up one. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the branch of Jesse, the suffering servant, the branch of the Lord who saves. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, He is the weeping prophet. He is the tree planted by God's water. He is the bearer of wrath of God's wrath. He is the righteous branch and the just king with power. He is the restorer of Israel. In Ezekiel, He is the wonderful four-faced living creature. He is the watchman. He is the glory of God. He is the voice of the Almighty. In in Daniel, He is the fourth man in the fire. He is the Ancient of Days. And He is the Messiah and the coming Prince. In Hosea, He is the faithful lover and the forgiving husband. In Joel, He is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit's power. In Amos, He is the warning of judgment to come. He is the arms that carry us. He is the deliverer of justice to the oppressed. And He is the tabernacle of David. 
In Obadiah, he's the judge of evildoers. He is the hope of Edom. Uh, in Jonah, he is the greater missionary sent by God. He is the one who rose from the dead and to prophesy to the lost. In Micah, he is the ruler uh, from out of Bethlehem. He is the one who casts our sin into the sea. And he is the promise of peace. In Nahum, he is the uh, prophesier of destruction and the punisher of sin. He is the proclaimer of future peace. And he is the strength and shield of all that believe on him. In Habakkuk, he is the cry to God. He is the strength strength of faith and trust. In Zephaniah, he is the plea for revival. He is the warrior who saves. In Haggai, he's the rebuker of the lack of care and the encourager who mobilizes work. He's the restorer of the lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain for cleansing, the branch, a servant, and a man. He is the stone with seven eyes. He's the angel of the Lord. He is the staff beauty that is in beauty that is broken for us. In Malachi, he is the abundant gift giver. He is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. He is the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap. In Matthew, he is God with us. He is the Messiah of the Jews. He is the Messiah who is king. (coughs) In Mark, he is the miracle worker and is the Messiah who is the servant. He is the son of Mary. He is the Messiah of the deliverer in Luke. In John, he is the word who created all things. He is the Messiah who is God incarnate. He is the Lamb of God, the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Spirit who indwells His people in Acts. He is the strength and power of the church. In Romans, He is the righteousness of God. He is the law and grace that sustain us. In 1 Corinthians, He is the patience of God and the power of love. In 2 Corinthians, He is the God of all comfort. He is the sufficient grace giver. He is the strength in our weakness. And He is the deposit of what is to come. In Galatians, He is our liberty in which we stand, the freedom by which we serve. He is our life. In Ephesians, He is the head of the church. He is the unity of the body. He is the glorious treasure. In Philippians, He is the joy of our life. He is the peace of God. He is the heart of our service. In Colossians, He is the supreme ruler over all. He is the glory in us. He is the Godhead Trinity. In 1 Thessalonians, He is the comfort in the last days. In 2 Thessalonians, He is the coming King. In Timothy, in Titus, and Philemon, He is the foundation of truth. He is the builder, leader, and director of His church. He is the faithful pastor and mediating priest. He is the assurance of our salvation. In Hebrews, He is the perfect fulfillment. He is the high priest. He is our our ever-present God. He is the captain of our salvation the author and finisher of our faith, and He is our everlasting covenant. He is the power that fuels our faith in James. He is the one who matures our faith, and He is the healing that we need. In First Peter, He is the bishop of our souls. He is the chief shepherd. He is the hope in times of suffering. In Second Peter, He is our example. He is our purity. He is the guard against false teaching. In First, Second, and Third John, He is true love. He is the source of fellowship. He is God in the flesh. He is true God. And Jude, he is the revealer of apostasy. He is the protector from falling, and he is the preserver of his own. In Revelation, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is coming again, and he is the maker of all things new. And can I tell you this? This list does not even begin to describe who he is. And the psalmist says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together.
Can I tell you, as God's people, we need to learn to magnify Him for who He is. Secondly, we need to magnify Him because of what He has done. Turn with me to the book of John, chapter number 3. John, chapter number 3. The psalmist said, When I consider the heavens, the work of my hands, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, he asked this question. He says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? Can I encourage you in this? That if we will ever get to the place where we can begin to see God more fully and magnify Him for who He is, it will help you and I to be far more grateful, to be far more thankful for what He has done for us. Because the God of heaven took an interest in an old sinner on this earth who is useless and worthless. And He did not save us because of some great benefit that we would be to Him. He saved us simply because He loved us. In John chapter number 3, verse number 15, verse number 14, the Bible says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth. In Philippians 2 that we just read, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why did He do this? Because He loved you. And that's it. There was, no, there was no value in us that would benefit Him. There was nothing that God could look down at a sinful man and say, I've got to have Him. He's got to be... I've heard preachers recently in, the, in, these, in these last days that have gotten up and said, God needed me. Can I tell you this? God doesn't need any one of us. I'm thankful He chooses to use us. But God does not need any of us. God did not look down from heaven and see a bunch of sinners walking around and say, Boy, if I could just save them, they'd be such a benefit to me. He looked down and He was moved with compassion and He had love for us. And for no other reason, He came to this earth, endured our punishment for the sins that we had encountered, the sins that we had done, not the sin that He had done. Verse 15, it says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. The saddest part of this passage, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. We need to magnify Him because of who He is. Secondly, we need to magnify Him because of what He has done. What He has done. When man willingly chose to sin, and by the way, don't blame Adam and Eve for our sin. We have willingly chosen our path. Oh, that we would learn that this great, great God that we are to magnify 
looked down and saw man and said, I love him. I love him. Because I love him, I'm going to go down and I'm going to take the punishment that he justly deserves. I'm going to pay the price so that I can enjoy the fellowship with him throughout all of eternity. Oh, that we would learn this. I love what the Bible said in Isaiah 6 that we read earlier. That as Isaiah saw God in His true glory, on the throne, high and lifted up, that Isaiah's response was, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live in a people among people of unclean lips. There are people in this day that claim to have seen God in some sort of vision or dream. Some <coughs> claim to have been caught up in person into heaven. They talk about how they stand eye to eye with Jesus. They walk arm in arm and hand in hand. And I tell you this, when I find accounts of Scripture where men see God, I don't ever find them standing I find them falling, laying on their faces before God, kneeling before Him. I find them having a humble spirit, unable to even speak in the presence of such holiness. I'm thankful that God made a way. On that cross, as the Lord Jesus cried, It is finished. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. The Bible says the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. So that man can finally have access to God. Not only has He saved us from our sin, but He allows us, according to the book of Hebrews, to come boldly to the throne of grace and to ask for mercy and help in time of need. Oh, what a joy that the God of all heaven looked down and took an interest in you and loved you. Oh, magnify the Lord with us. And let us exalt His name together. We need to magnify Him for who He is. Secondly, we need to magnify Him for what He's done. Thirdly, we need to magnify Him for what He's going to do. The Bible tells us now faith in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Look with me in John chapter number 14. We have hope in some things today and it's not a hope that's a wishful hope, but it's a hope that is an actual confidence because we know who has promised us. We know that God is the God of His Word. And if He promised us some things, we don't have a hope that's wishful thinking. We have a hope of expectation. We have a hope of confidence in it. In John chapter number 14, Jesus is speaking in verse 1. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, notice this, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Can I tell you, it was good enough for God to give us mercy and not to have the consequences of our sin. But He went beyond that. 
Not only does He allow us to escape the consequences of our sin and the penalty for our sin in hell one of these days, but He also gives us the great privilege of spending an eternity with Him. Paul said in the New Testament now that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I like the way he words that. He doesn't say to be present in heaven. I've heard people, I've sat at the, the bedsides of folks when they've passed, and I've heard the family say, boy, he's up there with mama, and he's up there with papa, or he's up there with aunt so-and-so, and boy, they're just having a great time. Can I tell you this? My Bible doesn't say that I'm going to be in the presence of one of my relatives when I die. It says I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus when I die. I know I'll be able to see others in heaven. But Fanny Crosby said, I long to see my Savior first of all. I want to see His face. I want to see the wounds in His hand and His side and His feet. I want to see the love in His eyes as He looks at me. And to hear the words, Welcome home. To experience that love face to face with Christ my Savior. And it's going to happen one day. I hope it happens by the way of the rapture. I'm not afraid to die. I just don't like the process it takes to get there. I hope it happens by the rapture. But I'll tell you this, whether it's by rapture or by death, oh, it's going to be a grand thing. It's going to be beyond anything my mind could ever grasp. More than anything my eyes could see or my ears could hear, it's going to be greater than that. And the psalmist said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together because of who He is, because of what He's done, and because of what He's going to do. Look with me in First Thess- uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul writes this because the church at Thessalonica had been taught by some false teachers that the resurrection had already happened. And Paul is trying to correct some things. And he says in verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. I hope it happens before we have our closing prayer in this service. I hope when we go to bed at night, we are disappointed that today was not the day. That we think often of what God is getting ready to do. And Paul said this, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, we ought to be talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ amongst ourselves. It ought to be the word on our lips as we look forward with anticipation to what God is getting ready to do. He's promised it. We know it's going to happen. We're looking for that day. And I think every breath that we live this side of heaven ought to be expressing or thinking of the thought, He's going to come soon. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. 
Look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, if you will. Just back a few pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse number 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And by the way, a lot of Baptist churches use that as the slogan for their, their nurseries. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I'm thankful that this speaks to the fact that not everybody's going to go by way of death. I'm hoping it's in my lifetime. I really am. I'm looking forward to it. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, I love this, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What is our labor? This charge that Paul gives us in light of the coming of the Lord. What is this labor that we're to do? I believe it's Psalm 34. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. Because of who He is. Because of what He has done. And because of what He's going to do. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. Lord, what a joy. It overwhelms us as we pause to meditate and to think on who you are.